it's almost like Jesus is saying right there early on in their ministry development, look, if we don't get this thing right, this rhythm between work and rest, you will not survive it. It looks like the next cohort for the Renovar Institute is going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. Applications are due February 1st. It's such a wonderful program, and you can find out more information on our website at renovare.org. You know, the Institute, it consists of four week-long retreats. And retreats, well, it just so happens to be our topic today. I find I talk a fair amount about taking a retreat. And the other day I was wondering why this topic seems to come up so often. Oh, I suspect it's because retreats have been so helpful in my life. Whether formal or informal, alone or with others, spaces of pulling away from the normal demands of my life, they've really helped to reframe and set a new trajectory spiritually and also personally. I tend to wonder, if we lived a truly balanced life, would we have the same need for retreat? Would it be different? Well, the reality is most of us don't live a balanced life, victim of some sort to the push and pull of our modern world. Although I suspect we can't blame too much on our particular culture, Issues of exhaustion and how our spiritual life is affected and challenged by hurry and busy is a topic that seems to pop up in old books all throughout history. Oh, I suspect it's probably a human problem that's only exasperated by the limitless distractions and poles all around us. As a new year is upon us, it seemed fitting to revisit the topic of retreat. And it just so happens that Ruth Haley Barton has a new book on the subject. It's titled Invitation to Retreat, The Gift and Necessity of Time Away with God. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. Ruth, you have a new book? I do. <laughs> Invitation to Retreat. The gift and necessity of time away from, away with God. Yes. I got to just start with this, this Dallas quote you put in the intro. If you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart after a while. Mm. That sounds like Dallas, doesn't it? It's just, it's got, it's just packed full of yes. meaning and yes. it just fits. You go, oh, that's right. If I don't get away, I will fall apart. I already feel like I'm coming apart, right? <laughs> Tell us about the book. Well, we have, in the Transforming Center, we've been doing what we do in retreat format for over 15 years. So um, I have felt that retreat as a practice in some ways has been compromised, both um, in the use of the word in contemporary culture and I think even sometimes people think of it negatively when they think of the military definition, that retreat is an admission that I'm failing and that I'm losing the battle. And I do start out talking about the military definition because I think it can be reclaimed for 
us as Christians. But um, I think also we use the language of retreat so sloppily, like a women's retreat is just, it's tons of speakers and tons of programming and staying up late and sleeping four people to a room and everybody leaves more exhausted when, than when they came. And Anything of course, but retreat. retreat. Yeah. Thing, and then, yeah. The, you know, youth retreats, everybody stays up all night and people, again, people, it's very stimulating, but people leave more exhausted than when they came. And so to reclaim the idea of retreat as a spiritual practice that opens us to God is part of why I'm so drawn to the topic and why I care about it so much. Because uh, biblically speaking, there are things that happen in retreat that don't happen in any other way. The scriptures are pretty clear about that. Uh, In the Old Testament, the wilderness is a a special place of intimacy with God and God's people. You know, God uses words like, I will allure her and she will respond to me as she did in her youth. I mean, very intimate language to refer to the wilderness experience, which is what a retreat is. Um, And then Jesus was just so routine in his own life and pulling away for extended periods of time. Even though he had unbroken union with the Father, he still felt the need to withdraw and to listen more carefully to the voice of God. And you could even look at the Sabbath practice as being you know, sort of the earliest practice of retreat uh, for the purpose of rest. So I think you know, retreat as a spiritual practice is deeply biblical. And I think in our culture right now, it's needed more than ever because of the utter distraction and stimulation and difficulty with unplugging. I agree with what you're saying in terms mm-hmm. of reclaiming the word. Usually yeah. when in Christian contexts, when they say retreat, they mean conference in the woods. Yes, exactly. That's full of programming and full of teaching and full of stimulation and also full of interactions with other people. Sure. Whereas retreat by definition is when we give our, our full and undivided attention to God and mm-hmm. God has more access to our soul than in the rough and tumble of life. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of what we do and call retreat, even in the Christian subculture, is actually not retreat from mm-hmm. a biblical or from the standpoint of spiritual formation. What are the parameters then? That Yeah, well, I think um, retreat is pulling away from our life in the company of others for an extended period of time to give our full and undivided attention to God. Emily Griffin has a wonderful um, way of talking about it when she talks about a generous investment in our relationship with God. I love that, Mm -hmm. you know, because many of us aren't very generous with ourselves, with God. We give him 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there, shove him into the nooks and crannies of our unmanageable lives. But there's nothing about it that's generous. (laughs) But retreat is a generous investment in our relationship with God. And there are you know, I think special benefits that come from these extended times away that are very different from the shorter periods of solitude and silence. Mm-hmm. Give me the parameters. Are you talking a day, a week? Um, oh, I think you can you can look at it in more than one way. I think a nine to four day would be, you know, almost the bare minimum, but I think you could do three hours, I suppose. But the parameters are that you are away from your life in the company of others. Silence, I think, is the main characteristic of retreat, that you're in silence, that you've moved beyond words. Um, You're letting go of human striving, relinquishing and abandoning yourself to God in in ways that are very unusual for most of us because most of us are control freaks and want to maintain control. And so retreat, by definition, is a time of relinquishing ourselves to God in in really significant ways. (laughs) And definitely being unplugged from technology. Now that we're where we're at with technology, it it definitely has to do with unplugging from technology as well and unplugging from work 
And, you know, the idea of rest is very, very central to the idea of retreat. Jesus said, come away with me and rest a while. So I always really believe that retreat starts with rest. Whatever Mm -hmm. else you're going to do, it starts with rest. Mm -hmm. So I suggest that people actually start in the evening if they can, because then you can start with resting. You can start with a night of rest and in the resting we allow some of our defenses to drop. And when we wake up in the morning, then having unplugged and having rested, then we're a little bit more ready to be present and alert to mm-hmm, God. Mm-hmm. And and then what do you do? What's your day look well, like? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, Don't you like how it's phrased? Did, did I mention rest? We have yes, to do. No, I didn't. Yeah. do the rest. Rest is first. Check. Um, Got it. Now what? Yes. And so <laughs> then... Um, I, it's ideal if it's in an environment that's that's supportive of silence. So, I mean, I actually think you can do a retreat in your own home as long as you unplug from your technologies and you let people know you're not available and um, you resist work if you can. Not everyone's able to do that in their home, but some people do, and I've done it before. And it's it's a pretty delightful feeling to close your front door, to know you're not going to work, but in your in the comfort of your own environment, your own bed, your own pillow, mm-hmm. Um TV you know, off, own, phone off. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've created the space, obviously, to, to be what you love and enjoy and what helps you to be comfortable. So if you can do that, it can be lovely. But, um, you know, we need, we need to be supported in the silence. So as much as we might want to do it in a hotel or something like that, there's always TVs in the rooms and music playing and people are, other people are talking. So to, to go to a, a, you know, a retreat center where the whole house, if you will, is in silence can be tremendous. The silence just deepens and deepens and deepens within you. And even to be with other people, but to be in silence, Mm -hmm. there can be this sense that the whole group is supporting each other in the silence, but you're not alone and it doesn't feel quite so isolating. Um, I think that it's wonderful to bring your Bible and maybe one other book that the Lord is using in your life right now in a spiritual way. So hopefully invitation to retreat would be in that category, but, but really anything that's supporting your spiritual practice where God is, is engaging you personally, not a book that has to do with your work, um, not a book that's on your reading list that you're trying to check off your reading list in a to-do list sort of way, and certainly not for study, um, but to continue to be drawn out into the spiritual life. Um, you know, like obviously the books that Renovari produces would be beautiful for that. Um, just make sure it's, it's more about what God's doing in your life and not about books you're trying to check off your list. Mm-hmm. So some spiritual reading. And when I say spiritual reading, I mean reading that's guided by the Holy Spirit, which is slow and spacious, and you savor the words. And when God's really speaking to your soul, you stop, you pray, you journal. It's a different kind of reading than reading mm-hmm. for information. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing we might do. Um, if you are able to go to a... Um, a retreat center or a convent or a monastery where there's a praying community and you can engage with them in their fixed hour prayer services. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, a retreat center that I love to go to, they don't do the full fixed hour prayers, but they do the Eucharist before lunch every day. So at like 11 o'clock before noon lunch, there's a Eucharist service where um, they're singing and scripture reading and a little homily and the Eucharist so that you're receiving Eucharist while you're on retreat, that can be so lovely. Um, I really love a directed retreat, which means that it's silent, but you have a spiritual director because mm-hmm. that way, whatever's stirring in your heart with God, you can take that to a person and they can help you to listen. And they can also help you to shape your retreat time in really profitable ways. Um, 
I definitely suggest doing things that are good for your body, walking, running, um, yoga, stretching, massage, any kind of body work really goes well with your retreat to help you to be in your body and to experience your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place of encounter with God. Um, and, and definitely retreat can um, be an opportunity for discernment. If there's a question that you have that you're seeking to discern God's will, to have more time like Jesus did um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe that was a time of discernment for Jesus where he really wrestled with his calling and whether or not there was any other way for him to carry out his calling besides going to the cross. He went up, you know, for the night to pray before he chose his disciples. The whole 40-day experience in the wilderness before he walked into his ministry life. Those were all retreat times for Jesus, and Jesus used them in particular ways. So um, I, I also suggest that if you go to a retreat center or a community that, that prays together, that you take advantage of whatever experiences they're offering. Um, it could be that it's a working community and there's an opportunity to do some work, some physical labor. Um, maybe they have art classes or whatever, but you, you lean into the life of that community and you just assume that it's God's gift to you during your retreat time. Mm -hmm. And you rest a lot. When you're tired, you take a nap, you know, um, you sit in silence uh, and watch sunsets. Um, you walk labyrinths. I mean, there's just so many things you can do on mm -hmm. retreat. Do you want to go on retreat now? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but okay. But here's, can I give you my dilemma? Please, yes. Okay, so two things. One, I load the car full of props. Prom mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, art stuff or like yeah. way too many books. And it's it's really because I'm terrified. Yeah. And I want to make sure I have something I can do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, here's what happens to me. The first 24 hours, I kind of freak out. Mm -hmm. So I rested. I slept. I maybe read a little bit. Uh, everything's turned off. And then mm -hmm. I start to panic. What's that about? Well, um, you're facing your life without the normal distractions. And I think many of us use our work and our reading and our activity to distract us from the inner struggle, mm -hmm. maybe the inner emptiness, maybe tough questions that we haven't wanted to face, maybe feelings of um, a lack of self and self-esteem when we're not doing things to prove ourselves to others. Hey, There's definitely an now. emptiness that we face. <laughs> what? Hey, hey. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, okay, here's what I notice. Here's my rhythm. And it, it helps me to know this going into it. I'm going to get just a little restless. Yes. And I'm going to want to go home. That's the right. thing. I and noticed. you're going to feel bored, maybe. Yep. Um, yep. But I find a wall, usually 36 hours, a wall. And then I find this rhythm where I don't want to go. I mean, absolutely. I, and I go, oh, why don't I do this more? And I start to feel human again. Yes. Yeah. And like a creature in God's, in the presence of one's creator, as opposed to this human doer, um, you start to get a little bit more tender and more vulnerable. And mm. you're just willing to be a little soft self in, mm -hmm. in the presence of the one who loves you. And, and it becomes enough. And you wonder why that, all that other stuff holds such an attraction for you. Yeah. When there's a richness that you're experiencing in the retreat time. Mm -hmm. Often tears. Mm -hmm. I find I yeah. cry. Yeah. Usually. Yeah, because you're going to a more vulnerable place. The other thing, and I'm so glad that you're bringing up tears, because sadness is something I often face in retreat. And I do write about this in the book, because I used to think that I would just feel deeply joyful. And I wondered why I was so sad. And this happens to me on the Sabbath as well. 
And what I've recognized is that the sadness is that I often am more in touch with my deepest spiritual desire. And the sadness has to do with the fact that I realize that I'm not living my life in ways that are congruent Mm. with my deepest desire and it hurts, Mm. you know, and then I have to really face that reality and say to God, what are we going to do about that? Because I'm not living my life in a way that's consistent with what I say I really want. Mm -hmm. There's a disconnect, almost a disassociation there between what I really want and the persona that I'm being out there. What is different from a spiritual retreat for the purpose of being present before God and a spa weekend self-help thing? Yeah, that is such a great question. Um, I I think it's purpose. You know, the the whole difference has to do with your purpose. Okay. So, um, you know, a spa weekend is great. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's usually for pampering and... um, a little bit of self-indulgence, which is very, it's a very good thing from time to time to do that. There's nothing wrong with that at all, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure it's the same thing as being present to God on retreat. And there's a certain rigor to retreat spiritually. That's a little bit different than pampering. Cause eventually um, you, you are going to face the demons, you know, mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. part and parcel of it. And you have to press through, you have to refuse to run away and abort the mission, if you will. And stay with the stuff that's warm and fuzzy and stay with the stuff that's tough and challenging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, there is a sense where the idea of retreat does feel like a bit of luxury to, one, have the time, but then have the resources. I mean, you mentioned retreat in home, but... yeah, And then, you know, people who have small children are caring for, you know, parents or such. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this for everyone? Well, I think it's for everyone, but you do have to be sensitive to your life stage. And I think all the spiritual practices have to be practiced with some sort of sensitivity and realism to one's life stage. Otherwise, you set yourself up for frustration, probably set yourself up for failure if you try to put practices in place that that literally aren't possible. So when you know people who have young children want to set out two hours of solitude every day, well, that's just not possible. You're setting yourself up for failure. You probably could get 10 minutes, though. All of us have 10 minutes somewhere in a day, and that becomes the realistic approach to your spiritual life at that time. And what I think is so exciting is that we serve a God who comes. So I, well, my experience, because I, I really began my own journey into solitude and silence when I had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a newborn baby, and I was nursing. Hmm. And, um, and yet the invitation was so clear that I couldn't say no because, you know, we all belong to God differently than we belong to anyone else in our lives. And when God calls, you find a way to say yes. And so all I could do then was 10 minutes at a time. And I'm amazed at what God did in 10 minutes a day, you know, because God is so faithful. God wants so much to come that when we create space, he does. And he does, I think he does with time what he did with the five loaves and two fishes, you know, he just can multiply it to make it what is needed. And so I hope that's encouraging and helpful, you know, to anyone who's listening that whatever time we have, even if it's just 10 minutes, God can do something with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think when you're caring for aging parents or caring for young children, it becomes more difficult and maybe you can't do it as regularly as you'd like. Mm-hmm. But there's usually respite care provided for people who um, care for aging parents. Oftentimes siblings are sharing that care and one, if one has siblings who love them, they're able to say, look, I have got to get some time with God or else I just, 
I can't sustain mm-hmm. what I'm mm-hmm. doing here. Um, and I think couples need to work together if their life stage is one with young children. And I, do, I know a couple who, um, even during their Sabbath practice, each of them gets three hours. So one goes off for three hours while the other one takes care of the kids and the other one goes off for three hours. I think that's lovely and so considerate. And that season of life passes quickly than you know, and then you'll be able to do it a whole different way. Right. But I have, um, I have retreated ever since that, you know, ever since that time I just described, I have found a way to retreat. And a lot of that has to do with having a, a really good husband mm-hmm. who understood the invitations of God in my life and was willing to help. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't the idea of retreat, you know, I mean, just for contemplatives and people who enjoy, you know, introverts mm. and such, right? Yeah, well, that is my pet peeve. <laughs> I just can't stand how spiritual formation gets reduced to a personality type, you know? Um, it is for all of us. And so, you know, it's Mark 630 is such an interesting verse because all the retreat centers use it. Um, come away with me and rest a while. And it's a great verse taken out of context, but I think it's an even better verse taken in context. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's a great verse out yeah. of context. Yeah, because, because it's a ministry context. It's the disciples who have just been sent out on their first ministry excursion. So they're doing all the right things. They're doing it in Jesus' power. They're doing it in his name. He's giving them great success. Um, but right, right on the heels of their first ministry excursion, he says, come away with me and rest a while. These are busy disciples, just like us. I mean, I hope we're busy disciples, or at least, you know, see ourselves as Jesus' disciples. Oh, I'm just busy, Ruth. Not really. <laughs> I don't believe it. Um, but but I look at the disciples, and they, they and I resemble them a little bit, you know, doing all these great things for Jesus that that he's given me to do, and I think I'm doing them at his call and and with his strength. And yet, it's almost like Jesus is saying right there early on in their ministry development, look, if we don't get this thing right, this rhythm between work and rest, you will not survive it. Mm. Um, So I just love the context of that verse because it gives it so much depth and meaning. And then, of course, what happens right after that? Jesus himself is inviting his disciples on a retreat. And then what happens? That crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children press in, follow the disciples and Jesus to the other side of the lake. And there's these people that have great need, and it's this lovely verse where Jesus has compassion on them and sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And it feels like that. You know, we're trying to get away on a retreat, and all this human need presses in. So Jesus touches real compassion inside himself. He leads the disciples in that great miracle. But then before it's even over, he says, you guys go on ahead. I'm going to stay back here and clean up. But we're still going to do this thing. We're still going to do this thing. And so he's just showing in every way how significant this pattern of retreat really is. Mm -hmm. The other thing about Mark 6, which I feel is so realistic, is that early in the chapter, it's all the success of their initial ministry attempts. But then right after that is the beheading of John the Baptist. And the disciples, at least a couple of them, have to go and and retrieve his beheaded body. And, And so that's what immediately precedes, come away with me and rest a while. So you see the highs and lows of ministry right there. And it's at that moment that Jesus says, you will not survive the highs and the lows of all this if you do not face into what's just happened to you and if, if you don't have some time with me. So I think there's no way to wiggle out of this. I think the context of Mark 6 shows that there's no way to wiggle out of, mm-hmm. of this call of Jesus to his disciples, including us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, something I, I've done a few times is go on retreat with a friend, mm-hmm. not to talk. 
Yeah. But just, I don't know. I'm not alone. And yeah, just that someone else is with you. Yeah. And, I mean, I have separate rooms and such, but Mm -hmm. the other thing I noticed is what really helped was the accountability of Mm -hmm. we put that in the calendar, and now I can't get out of it, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know how many times I've set days out for retreat and then, oh, the day before decided that um, I I needed to clean my house and, Mm -hmm. you know. Too busy. Much more important things to Mm -hmm. to care for. Uh, And reality, I'm scared. I mean, just to be really honest, because I know Mm -hmm. what's coming. I, I know right. that it, it, there's going to be some spaces of uh, yeah. challenge to it. What, what is your rhythm? Do you have a retreat rhythm? Well, I, my suggestion, and, and this is what I attempt, and I don't always hit it, but I think having having a general guideline is, is better than not having one because then even though if, even if you don't hit it perfectly, at least you've done better than if you hadn't had yeah, yeah. any kind of intention. Shoot for so, the moon or stars yes. land over the moon or whatever. Yes. Yeah. I think for, especially for people who are actively engaged in Christian ministry or any kind of leadership where there's so much required of us all the time, um, that once a month, like a nine to four day once a month, or at least a 24 hour period once a quarter would be a basic minimum in my mind. And then a longer one once a year, plus take all your vacation. You know, retreat is not vacation. I just want to say that retreat is time away with God. Vacation is time usually away with your family. So you see your retreat rhythm as being different than your vacation typically. We deliver, we do what we do in the Transforming Center in quarterly retreats. So what what we see as one of the great benefits of that for the people who participate is that they have a quarterly retreat on their calendar all the time. And that accountability thing that you mentioned is so significant because if it was just left up to you and you hadn't paid good money and you didn't have people counting on you to come it would be so much easier to just let it go and say, I can't do that. You don't press through it as, as intentionally. And what we found was that people would say after their 27 month experience with us was over, they would say, well, I'm just going to, you know, this rhythm has been so important to me. I'm now going to put it in place by myself. And a couple of years later, they come back and they say, I wasn't able to do it. Mm-hmm, I wasn't mm-hmm. able to keep the rhythm by myself. I needed the accountability of a group who does this mm-hmm. in order to, keep this rhythm in my life and it keeps me alive. You know, what I say is that if you, if you have a rhythm of retreat, then you, you can't get too far into the realm of dangerously tired before you have a retreat. You can't get too far into making decisions without discernment, without having some time set aside to listen to God. Um, without the rhythm, chances are you can actually hit major walls before you make arrangements for a retreat. Right. I I had a really helpful um, revelation a while back. It it was this. Nate, you're going to rest one way or the other, Mm -hmm. right? You know that kind of standard, you take a vacation and you get sick, Mm -hmm. you know? So would would you like to rest while you're, you know, sick and you can't move? Exactly. Uh, Or would you like to do some intentionality? Right. You know, when you can still enjoy and Mm -hmm. uh, it's helpful to think about that, you, you know, it's going to come to you either way. And um, I think that the practice of retreat and Sabbath and solitude and silence has to do with surrendering to our humanity and saying, God created us and God did not create us to be creatures that can go 24-7 all of our lives. Yeah. He didn't make us that way. And so entering into these practices is also a way of submitting and surrendering mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. way we've been created by our Creator. 
Yeah, um, he, could have made it, he could have done it another way, but he didn't. Isn't he it interesting it how we push that, right? We're designed to need a certain amount of sleep or to need mm-hmm. other, and we just want right. to push the envelope right? rather than submit. I'll yeah. move it into worship of a kind of, this is the way the body's designed, the way you've designed right. me. And thank you. Right. I'll, mm-hmm. you know, try and. And so to live in our bodies the way God intended is actually to honor the gift of how he made yeah. us. Yeah. That's what a novel idea. How does the spiritual practice of guidance fit into retreat? Mm. Well, I mentioned already, and I, I think it's so striking to look at those three incidences in Jesus' life that were so significant. Um, at the beginning of his ministry, when you know, the dove came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the spirit immediately drives him out to the wilderness, which is a retreat. Mm-hmm. I mean, wilderness is one of the major metaphors for retreat in scripture. And so that was a place where Jesus entered into an, an extended period of time of retreat to wrestle with his calling, the implications of it, how it would actually work out, the temptations associated with it. That was a retreat and Jesus used it to wrestle with issues of his calling. and and um. I just think that's tremendous as you know, Jesus had just been affirmed with the voice from heaven mm-hmm. and yet he still was driven into the wilderness to wrestle with aspects of his calling, including temptations attached to it. Um, before he chose his 12 disciples, which was one of his most important life shaping decisions, he went up to the mountain and prayed all night. And then he came down from that place and chose his disciples. So he received guidance. I believe he received guidance for who that should be. And then in Gethsemane again, Jesus wrestling with his calling about whether or not there was any other way he could do what God was calling him to do besides going to the cross. And, and he and God really wrestled and he, he sweated great drops of blood and emerged from that place with his face resolutely set to go towards Jerusalem. So um, retreat is a time for hearing the voice of God as being distinct from all the other voices. And, and it's not easy, is it? I mean, to distinguish God's voice from the voice of culture, from the Mm -hmm. voice of our own inner compulsions, um, from the old voices of family of origin or whatever, which is where a lot of the compulsions come from. Um, But, you know, to to get quiet enough that you can feel and hear the difference between God's voice and all the other voices that clamor for -hmm. our attention. And turning off technologies and being disconnected from technologies really helps with that. And that's part of what, you know, defines retreat. Mm-hmm. So that it's, you know, there are other aspects to guidance. Certainly there's a communal aspect to guidance as well um, and all sorts of other things. But I think all of us need some time when we're making major decisions to be alone with God and to seek to hear God's voice and God's voice alone. Mm-hmm. What are some pieces that have happened for you with guidance and retreat? Mm. Definitely guidance around my own sacred rhythms. Mm-hmm. So when I just have a sense that life is not working, that will sometimes be one of the questions I'll take into retreat is, oh, God, my life is not working. That'd make yeah. a great book title. It would, wouldn't it? I think yeah. it would. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you remember I like book titles? Do you remember yes, this? Yes, I do, too. I, I, I do, too. Um, but but that's, that's always a question when you know your life isn't working. And I've had retreats many times. And what I've said to people is that 
there's always some aspect of recalibration for me that takes place on retreat. It might be a major, a major change, or it could be even a minor tweak, but something God wants to say to me about how I'm living my life and what's working and what's not working. Mm -hmm. And, And to do that, First of all, I've got to get in touch with my deepest desire, the desire that's deeper than, deeper than my ego-drivenness, um, and what it is that I really want to do and be in my life, and then to ask God, how can I order my life for that, and really work on that, you know, in, in concrete ways. Um, I think um, vocational decisions, before we make any major vocational decision, to carry that into God's presence and really listen. Um, another thing that I've carried into retreat time often is self is an opportunity for some deeper self-examination mm-hmm. when I'm aware that there's something inside myself that doesn't feel quite right. Um, and, and I say to God, I want to listen to you about this. And I remember taking one retreat in particular. In fact, I think I refer to this in the book where I was really... Uh, deep in the process of, of seeking understanding about my Enneagram number and the false self patterns that I could really see that I was in the grip of them and, and entering into retreat, really wanting more self-knowledge. Mm. Um, and those are hard. I, I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I, I wanted change more desperately than I wanted comfort. Mm. So oh, there's I, the I line. That. I wanted mm-hmm. change more desperately than I wanted comfort. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah. I, I have a thought on retreat, and I heard the word used related to silence. Mm-hmm. And it was silence is reliable, mm-hmm. meaning that there's a, there's a certain piece you can count on with it. I think yeah. I want to say the same thing with retreat, that mm-hmm. there's a, a piece of where it is reliable. And I know mm-hmm. that if I'm going intentionally, particularly with a, a, an issue of discernment or where I'm seeking guidance, right. that something will occur. Um, right. The question I have is, what if I go on retreat and, and it, it's, it's boring and I'm sad and no, uh, uh, no burning bush happens? D- d- did mm-hmm. I fail? No. Um, I think oh, there's so much in that question because maybe the first thing I would say is that on retreat, perhaps more than any other time, we're putting ourselves in God's hands. We are surrendering ourselves to God. And retreat puts us, and again, this is Emily Griffin's language, it puts us in a less predictable situation than when we go on vacation and make our plans. And Mm -hmm. we're trusting ourselves to God and what God has for us. And so to trust that whatever it was or it wasn't is God's choice and not mine is so profound, I think. Mm. Secondly, I think it is so true that what's the most important things that happen in our lives spiritually are things that happen under the surface of our consciousness. We don't know what God is doing. Um, And the calming that happens, the, um, yeah, the the self-knowledge eventually, a lot of times the benefits of retreat and extended times of solitude and silence are actually felt and seen after we leave the time, we, we, we do notice that we're more at peace. Mm-hmm. We do notice that we're more discerning in how we're responding to things. Yeah. We do notice that we're less driven by ego and more driven by the true voice of God in our lives. But we don't see it while we're on retreat, but we see it when we get back into our lives in the company of others that we're different, mm-hmm. um, that we're mm-hmm. better in ways that we might not even be able to describe. Um, 
So that I think that's very real also. So not concern yourself with the outcome so much. The point yes. is to just go and listen and try mm-hmm. and be present as best and we can. And trust yourself to God, that, that God knows what we need more than we oh. know what we need. Mm-hmm. And maybe we didn't need a bunch of bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we just needed to be in the presence of this one who loves us and to be um, filled yeah. with that love. Yeah. This is good. Can I close by telling you one of my favorite retreat stories? Sure. Okay. So it was time, right? It was my seasonal retreat, and I had, I, it was my seasonal retreat, and I had the whole thing planned out. I loaded up the car, three days silent retreat. Mm-hmm. It was fall, the leaves were changing. I was going to a beautiful place. The car was loaded with books and some paint for some art project. I had the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. I go to the retreat center and, and uh, uh, nobody's there, which is kind of nice in a way. And I, I go outside and I build a fire that, you know, and I sat by the fire and, you know, I'm, I'm here about four hours. And then I start to panic, and there was nobody there, and the loneliness now had this sort of creepy feel to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there by the fire, and I said, you know what? I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And I turned around and drove three hours back home and abandoned the whole thing. Mm. What do you think? Mm. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Um, I remember one time wanting to that, uh, and it was a retreat that required a flight and I had worked so hard to get to the point where I could take this retreat, just like you were describing. I got childcare for the kids and, um, oh, I'd made all sorts of plans and arrangements. And then I got to the airport and just absolutely panicked and all the fears, you know, like, am I, I'm not going to like the food. I'm going to be bored. I'm not going to sleep well. I'm not going <laughs> to like the people. Cause it was one of those alone together sorts of things. Yeah. Um, or, and I, you know, I was afraid of what I wouldn't hear, but I was afraid I wouldn't hear anything. I mean, it was a mess. And I'm telling you, if I had not had plane flights and already checked my bags, I would have been out of there. Um, so yes, I understand this fear. <laughs> people often ask me, is there anything I can do wrong in solitude or re- retreat, which is just extended solitude? And I say, no, the only thing you can do wrong is leave. You know, um, if you can just stay, you know, that's the only thing. The rest doesn't even matter in my mind. Um, so I but failed, Ruth. I yeah, well, I you know, failed. you learn something, though. But look, <laughs> you, you've not done that again, right? Well, no, I actually, it was actually quite helpful because it was, mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of laughed about it. And I actually yeah. went home and spent the weekend with my kids in a way I hadn't mm-hmm. before. It, it, yeah. it was actually. Because you think, had cleared the time. Yeah, I think it was a positive. But here, you've just solved it for me. Here was my problem. I didn't do it in community. Mm -hmm. Had someone known what I was doing, right? To where there was some sort of, Nate, how is that going? I probably would have stayed. Yeah. Well, and and we didn't say too much about fixed hour prayer, but I have a whole chapter on it in Mm -hmm. the book because, oh, do I love the practice of fixed hour prayer. Because if you think you really are going crazy and you're going to leave, um, to know that there's a group of people who are going to get together and pray. And and usually in those things, you're not talking except for the responsive readings from scripture or whatever, but it anchors you and you get, it gets you back into scripture. And oftentimes God uses it to say something to you that's important. You're like, Oh yeah, I, you know, this is what I'm doing and God's here. And so even, you know, fixed hour prayer is a very communal aspect of what retreat can be for us too. And I'm, I am all about it. I think if there's any way to make it a little bit more of a communal experience alone together, which is an oxymoron, only it's not, um, 
you know, that can really anchor one, especially early in our experiences with solitude and silence when, and, and retreat when those feelings of, of fear and anxiety can overwhelm us and we're not prepared. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Ruth, so helpful. Thank oh, it's you. good to be with you. What a great and thoughtful conversation. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Again, Ruth's book is titled Invitation to Retreat, The Gift and Necessity of Time Away with God. And if you'd like to listen to another podcast on the topic of retreat, do check out episodes 74 and 85. It's with our Australian friend, Andrew Renici, and I love talking with him. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.